Well, let's give him a real praise offering, shall we? Come on. If we're quiet, the stones will cry out. Oh, God is never going to let you down. As I was praying this morning, thank you, Dean. As I was praying this morning, you know, I realized that each one of us are in very different circumstances. Some are ugly. Some are painful. Some are difficult. Some are beyond even anything that we think we might be able to bear. Is, anybody, is that true for anybody out there? Yeah, it is. And yet, God will never let you down. That's really the message of Palm Sunday. That's really what I'm going to try to capture as I've thought through and uh, looked at my own circumstances and the circumstances of the people that I love and those that are closest uh, to me. This morning what I want to share is about Palm Sunday, of course. Uh, Palm Sunday, if you uh, turn to John chapter 7, um, I want to talk about the paradoxes of uh, Palm Sunday. And there are uh, many of them, <clears throat> but I want to just begin with um, oh, the notion, I guess, that uh, first of all, what is Palm Sunday? I mean, we do these traditions, and sometimes we don't really know. In John chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Then six days after the Passover, uh, six days before the Passover. Now, the Passover that year happened to fall on a Friday. And six days before the Passover, uh, Friday, Thursday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Monday, Sunday, by our calendar. I know the calendars were different, but six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. <laughs> now, if you're not familiar with that story, you can read what happens in John, or happened in John chapter 11. Mary and Martha, and you know the story, we often use it at funerals because it's one of those passages of great hope. A human death, the end of this life is not the end. Is anybody glad for that besides me? There's more to life than what you can experience here. Whether the sun is shining outside, or whether it's raining, or snowing, or any other thing, God is still in control. Uh, so we want to set the context of looking at the rest of John's Gospel, but let me just say that um, Jesus was resolute about going to Jerusalem with His full premeditation, His full premeditated understanding of what was going to happen, uh, not just on that day, but that week, which would culminate in a cross and He would be crucified, really dead, and buried. Now, I don't think I can grasp that or those truths, those realities. Uh, so let's just look to start with at some background of the significance of that day. Uh, the significance starts out with if you read about when you go to a concordance or a lexicon and Look up Palm Sunday, you'll find that every one of the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, give detail about that day, Palm Sunday. That makes it fairly significant. God thought it was important enough for, for human beings who had the inspiration of the Spirit upon them to write detail differently from four different perspectives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, detail about that day. That makes it fairly significant. Uh, Matthew chapter 21 would be one account. Mark chapter 11 would be another account of Palm Sunday. Luke chapter 19 and the one that we'll shortly read, uh, John chapter 12. So, not only did the New Testament writers give explicit detail about the day, Palm Sunday, uh, but we also find out there's some detail in the Old Testament that was given about that day thousands of years before it ever happened. 
That makes it significant. Now, we see that because at least two Old Testament texts are actually quoted, actually more than that. Uh, but in Zechariah chapter 9, and I'll turn there, you may not uh, want to do that because if you're like me, sometimes you forget where all these smaller and sometimes more insignificant books are, if we're honest. And we'd have to go to our you know, table of contents and find it. But in Zechariah chapter 9, I looked ahead of time, uh, verse 9, and well, we'll just read verse 9. Zechariah 9, 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, why? Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, and yet he is lowly and riding on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a donkey. The incongruency, the paradox between in, this, in one verse of Scripture, talking about your king is coming and he's lowly and he's riding on a little ass, a little donkey, a little colt. <laughs> I know, we use that word in multiple ways in English, and yet that's the way it was. He was riding this little donkey's colt. But the point here is that the story is significant, not just because all four writers of the New Testament Gospel included, but this day is significant because at least in two passages, this one, Zechariah 9, it's foretold, though they didn't understand it when it was written. They didn't get it any more than we can get what God is doing in the present because we can't always connect the dots. They didn't understand that, oh, that meant Jesus was going to come and He would be riding on this lowly colt because when He came, most of the people missed Him. They thought He was going to come as a king, riding on some supercharged stud-white stallion and just destroying the enemies of Israel with a spear. With a, you know, He didn't come that way. And because of that, they missed Him. Psalm 119 or 118 is another text that I'll just look at with you real quickly. In Psalm 118, again, the Old Testament speaks about the day of Palm Sunday. In verse 22 of Psalm 118, it says, "...the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone." And some of the, gospels, uh, some of the Gospel accounts actually quote that text, though I don't think John does. Then he goes on, the psalmist says, this is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes, and therefore, this is the day the Lord has made, and we can rejoice and be glad in it. Beloved, I don't know what you're walking through. I could tell you my story. I don't know what difficulties you're in, what prognoses, prognoses you've been given, or what situation that you're walking in, or how disappointed or discouraged you might be. The fact is, the stone that was rejected, who is Jesus, has become the chief cornerstone, and on Him, all of eternity and all of reality actually stands, and therefore, regardless of where you're walking today, this is still the day that the Lord has made. And we can rejoice and be glad in it. You see, that's why the stones would cry out if the disciples didn't give God praise on this event of the coming of Jesus. Background. The New Testament writers spoke explicitly of detail. Old Testament writers, at least two, in fact more than that, spoke of the, this day. The Gospels then used the word Hosanna. What does Hosanna mean? Does anybody know? Save. He saves. Or come to save. The word Hosanna means uh, salvation. Palm Sunday gets its name actually from the event of people taking palm branches and ripping them from the trees and laying them before the colt on which Jesus was riding. We understand that, but they didn't understand it. You see, this king who was coming was also the one who would be mighty to save, though the paradox of how he would do that, they didn't understand. I suspect that what you're walking through in your life may somehow or could somehow be like the paradox of that Palm Sunday. And sometimes we are tempted 
in our own finite understanding to uh, interpret the events of our lives as somehow because things aren't working out from my perspective the way I think they should work out. Somehow God can't be in them. Come on. You see, let me give you some some for instances, if I may. You're going downtown and the city's crowded on this particular night. And you're supposed to be somewhere at a certain time. And there's lots of traffic and you realize that, well, you'll probably be pretty late. And uh, maybe, God, would you give me a parking place right in front of the place? Come on, we do that. And uh, lo and behold, the, the, a car moves and you pull in and just in the nick of time and you say, Whoo, God was really in that. Don't we? Okay, what about if you're in the same circumstance and now you're five minutes late and you say, God, I need a parking place right in front of that theater. Some of you are snickering because you do it just as I do. You know, and God doesn't perform the way you think He should. God can't be in that, we say. In other words, we become somehow um, linked with whether the circumstance appears to us to be positive, that's God, or whether the circumstance appears to be negative, that can't be God. Do you see where I'm going with this? From the perspective of Palm Sunday... Uh, things didn't look out look so good for Jesus. Here's the point. Never in history had there been any event so promising on one hand, the paradox, and ended in such despair. The question is, was God in it? I'm testing some of your theology this morning. Some of your practice this morning. Uh, some of the fabric of who we are as God's people. Because when things turn south, you know what I mean by that? They don't work out. They appear to just not be coming together and it's painful. And it produces difficulty and some of us are tempted to throw up our hands and just go, there is no God. God can't be in that. Well, beloved, God might be right in the middle of it. You see, in John chapter 12, let me go back there, having already read uh, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus had been raised from the dead. God was obviously there whom He had raised from the dead. Now, if you slide over to verse 9 of that same chapter, chapter 12 of John's Gospel, now a great many of the Jews knew that He, Jesus, was there, and they came not so much for Jesus' sake, that is, because He was there, but that they might see Lazarus, the dead man, who was dead for four days, wrapped in grave clothes, and Jesus simply spoke and said, Come forth. And Lazarus came bounding, jumping, who knows, stumbling, out of the tomb, alive as ever. But, verse 10, the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death a second time. God can't be in that. God already raised him from the dead. Verse 11, because on account of him, Lazarus, many of the Jews were leaving Judaism, went away, and believed in Jesus. The circumstances of the Pharisees and the Sadducees from their appearance, from their perspective, was not going well. Verse 12, then the story picks up that we're more familiar with. The next day, now remember verse 1 said six days 
So this is the fifth day. Uh, This is the Sunday, if you will. The next day, a great multitude that came to the feast, when they heard the Passover feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet Him and began to cry out. This is Psalm 118. Hosanna! Mighty to save! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Verse 14, reading in the New King James, Then Jesus, when He had found a young donkey, there are other details about that given in the other accounts of the Gospels. When then Jesus found a young donkey, He sat on it, uh, as it is written, and then comes the quote from John, Zechariah 9.9, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, though he is sitting on the donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things. The paradox of Palm Sunday was too great. If you're the king, things would always work out according to how I would evaluate they should work out. Come on. How can you be the king and show up on a stupid, foolish little colt that's never even been trained? You think that was just a smooth ride where Jesus... I bet it was strange. Slow down. We don't know. And, and the disciples did not understand these things at first, but it goes on and it says, when, uh, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things that were written about Him and that they had done those things to Him. You see, Palm Sunday gets its name from that experience of ripping the palm branches and Jesus the King and coming as a servant entered into Jerusalem. But you see, never in history has there been events with so much potential for celebration and exuberance and yet fraught with so much despair. You see, when Jesus began His descent, from the Mount of Olives. I've only been to Israel on one occasion in 1982, I believe it was. And standing on the Mount of Olives, some of you have been there. Anybody been to the Mount of Olives? Some of you have numerous times. You can look down into the Kidron Valley and across this long valley and up the other side of the hill, the ascent to Zion and Jerusalem on the hill, that hill, the hill of Zion. You see, Jesus began His descent down the Mount of Olives. Uh, The crowds were thrilled. (laughs) Hosanna! (laughs) Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. But the disciples at that point felt somewhat vindicated. Why would they feel vindicated? Because Jesus said, leave everything and follow Me. And lo and behold, many of them did. They left everything and they followed Jesus and now they see Jesus, the disciples saying, Hosanna, mighty to save, blessed is the King of Israel and they were feeling pretty good about their appearance of things. Things are working out. Okay, he's riding a donkey, but hey, they're crying out his name. They were thrilled with what they began to see. They felt vindicated. They'd left everything. The crowd was convinced that their long-awaited Messiah had come. I mean, after all, he had just raised Lazarus, this dead guy for four days dead, to life. What would happen if that would occur in our church? What would happen if that occurred in our uh, city? I bet people would come to see him. He or if you will, she who had been dead. But I bet you there'd be some people that would sneer and mock. I bet you some people wouldn't believe even though 
It was testified to them that we knew this man and he had XYZ and it killed him. He died and somehow now he's alive. Well, weirder things happen in life and they would simply shake it off. You see, the crowd was convinced that their long-awaited Messiah had come. But by the time Passover arrived, this was Sunday, now we have uh, Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, the night on which Jesus was betrayed, and then Friday. By the time Friday, Passover uh, had come, everything had changed. Jesus would be betrayed by one of his closest disciples, Judas Iscariot. Their expectations were unfulfilled. All of a sudden, the God who had come to save, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel, would be killed on a cross. Jesus would be condemned by the highest court of the land. In Judaism, in particular, the Sanhedrin. Matthew 26. Jesus uh, would be denied by Peter, who knew Him well. I'll know Him. I've never known Him. Pontius Pilate would then order the crucifixion of Jesus in Matthew 27. Jesus would then be crucified in Matthew 27. One reference to that reality that takes place in all of the Gospels. Giving detail of how Jesus would be uh, killed. You see, Jesus died a terrible death. Jesus was crucified. Their dreams were dashed. But remember, Palm Sunday is important at least for three reasons. Not only that detail is given by all of the New Testament Gospel writers, not only that it was foretold in the Old Testament at least two places, in fact, many, many more. Isaiah 53, He bore our sin. Uh, by His stripes we are healed. Jesus was crucified. But there are three reasons why Palm Sunday is important. It was foretold in the Old Testament. It was heralded by the New Testament writers. But Jesus Himself was the architect of these events. Jesus knew that there awaited Him on Passover. The day in the Old Testament when the death angel passed over Israel, Jesus understood something about His going to Jerusalem, that it was required by the Father that the death that you and I deserve would be passed over us based upon one singular event. Jesus going to a cross and giving His life for you. For me. Have you spurned? Have you trivialized the cross of Jesus? Have you become a religious disciple? These are rhetorical questions, not aimed at any one of us, but at all of us. Have we become so religious that we only want the good things? Have we been so trivializing the Gospel that we can't recognize even when things are difficult? Even when life turns against us that we are still more than conquerors through Him who loved us and gave Himself for us. You see, I don't want to, be a, I don't want to live my life as a religious man. I want to be an authentic disciple who would say, what if Jesus were really real? How then should I live my life? There are so many religious people in the Western culture. And many of them, I'm sure with many of you, make us sick. Because they're more religious than they are authentic. The days in which we are living, beloved, is calling for unprecedented life in Jesus. Jesus set His face 
the King James says, like flint, to go to a cross, to go to Jerusalem, to accomplish what no one else could accomplish for us. Remember that Palm Sunday was so promising, and yet it was also such a despair. Nothing seemed to turn out the way the people had hoped. You see, the question that I'm sort of driving at is if God is in something, uh, if God is in something, it is significant regardless of the perceived outcome. Let me say it again. If God is in something, it is always significant, profoundly significant, even though it may not turn out the way we would like for it to turn out. You see, that something doesn't have the appearance of a happy ending is no proof that God wasn't in it. That something doesn't have the appearance of a happy comfortable experience is no proof that God wasn't in it. You see, we live in a culture where we have embraced a gospel that says it will always go smooth for believers. Uh, if, if God is in it, I'll always find that parking place. Uh, if if God is in it and we're really to move from this city and take that other job in Raleigh, uh, then we'll sell the house in two days and we'll always make a windfall. You hear what I'm saying? We have embraced some silly notion of what gospel means that it always has to look easy and comfortable and, and good for me. That's not the gospel that Jesus demonstrated on Palm Sunday. And illustrated then on uh, the day in which he was betrayed and crucified. Good Friday. You see, unfulfilled expectations are those realities that every one of us have to come to grips with. And yet, God is always faithful. It's the mother who has a special needs son. It's the pain of seeing little Jimmy or little... Mary, you know, struggling with. It's, it's a parent who sees a son or a daughter going astray and falling into drugs and immorality. You know, the heartache, it's the suffering, and yet can God still be in it? It's, it's the person who's taken in an accident or loses a loved one. For any reason, by the way, it's a child who's born with an illness. Or a disease. It's a parent that dies suddenly. It's the loss of a spouse, a wife, or a husband. It's those who uh, linger in suffering. You see, it's the pain and the suffering and the difficulty. Nobody likes to preach this, by the way, but we all get to live it. You see, it's caring for a parent who can no longer care for themselves. Some of you have been doing that for years. And nobody knows the suffering that you've endured with that, except perhaps those who are closest to you. It's when a parent suddenly dies or they linger in in suffering. You see, it's a nation that doesn't seem to be going the way we hope that it would or think that it ought. There's suffering involved in that. Thank you. It looks like the election of 2016. Oh my, is right. The buffoonery that's being illustrated from the public arenas of this nation are absolutely captivating and sell lots of news time. But what does it have to do with God is the question. Can God still be in it? I suspect He can. What about a church that's just not doing right? Any more than a family isn't 
doing right. Meaning, just isn't performing up to your or my expectations. God can't be in that. Palm Sunday illustrates that God may be right in the very midst of it. Because God is not as interested in your perceptions or appearances as or mine as He is His. But because people live in fear, they often say things that are not accurate and they often do things that are, well, kind of foolish. We gossip. Uh, we, you know, people. When we're in pain, when we don't know if God is in the midst, then we must assert what we believe uh, is what is best. The disciples understood that. Jesus said to them, go into such and such a place and, 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 and do thus and so. Uh, you remember the story? I can't quote it. And they wouldn't receive Jesus. And the disciples came back and said, would you want us to call down lightning on these folks and kill them? Some of you feel that way about our nation. See, that's what we've been hearing in the news with Trump. There's anger that's festering. I have it too. Many of us have it. But the anger of man never, never accomplishes the righteousness of God. Never. You see, we have to trust Jesus and look at Him when He goes to Palm Sunday understanding that it's going to look foolish, it's going to look weak, it's going to cost Him everything, and He's still going to be the King. And He's still going to draw men and women to Himself when we lift Him up and get our eyes off of ourselves and our needs and our appearances and how we perceive things ought to go and stop trying to control God. We can't control this nation. I know you can vote. And I already have. Probably most of you did. But we can't control it. There are so many things we can't control. Then what can we do? Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in His wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. It's always been that way. Beloved, those who understood certainly later, it says His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when the Spirit of Jesus came on Pentecost and God, transcendent Jesus, dead, buried, raised from the dead, ascended back to the Father, and from that exalted place, the Scripture says, the Father and the Son poured out the Spirit of God. Why did He do that? So that you and I, in our frailty, in our divided affections, in our uh, wrong appearance uh, judgments, can have God now living in us so that we can understand what is reality from His standpoint and no longer live out of our cerebralness, our mental judgments. You see, that is what makes a people different. You see, it's through the death and the resurrection of Christ that we're born into a kingdom where the King reigns. You don't get the reign. I don't get to reign. Jesus gets to reign. If you're trying to reign in this house, guess what? You need to repent. <laughs> That's the Gospel, beloved. That's the Gospel. And when we try to reign and rule and control and manipulate and try to make things happen because we are angry, we will simply bring difficulty into our own lives and the lives of other people. Won't we? We are our worst, our own worst enemy at times. You see, the people who understood then understood that the death and the resurrection of Christ birthed them into something absolutely new. 
they understood for the first time that they were more than conquerors through every situation in their lives. The death of loved ones. If you read Hebrews 11, some were sawed in half. Anybody experienced that lately? Some of them lived in caves. They were stoned. They went, you see, the faithful uh, who simply believed in Jesus, they suffered and yet God was in the midst of it. We are more than conquerors, even in the midst of our difficulty. They were victorious regardless of their unfulfilled expectations. We are a culture of whiners. And I lead the pack. I don't like this, and I don't like that, and I whine about this, and I whine about that. Come on, David, amen. Take your hanky out and shake that bad boy. You know, that's what I <laughs> We whine because we want it our way. And Palm Sunday says, son or daughter, we're going to have it my way, not yours going to cost my son a cross and ultimately it's going to cost you one you can gripe and you can moan but it's going to cost you a cross you see we're living a new life in Jesus we're brought into a new humanity we are given access to a new community of people who have like precious faith though they're still human just like we are that's why we need to be in small groups that's why we need to share our lives with each other why because sometimes i'm stupid and i need somebody to tell me so and many of you do <laughs> and guess what it's okay <laughs> Because I just need to grow up and get over it and listen and deal with what is mine to deal with and ultimately turn my attention back to Jesus. And beloved, that's your calling as well. You see, it will cost us a cross, a new humanity, a new community, a new man. Whether you're male or female, in Jesus you are new. New. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Why are we still living so cotton-picking old thinking and looking? Is the question. It's the uncrucified self that rules and reigns in this life. Please understand, I'm talking to me first. Lest you misunderstand this monologue. You see, we're citizens of a new kingdom. We have a new king. Now we are participants in this new community. We're different from all other people on the face of the earth. Doesn't make you able to have an attitude of more righteous and holy than anybody else. It is by grace that we've been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Lest anyone should boast... This drug user. This alcoholic. This prostitute. This blue-haired, pink-haired. Or no-haired. <laughs> you see, it's our judgments. It's our criticisms. New means seeing people the way Jesus sees them. Because they're suffering just the way we are. We just like to pretend that we're not. Because we don't think suffering has a place in the kingdom of God. Let me, let me land this plane with a couple of scriptures. Palm Sunday is actually about the paradoxes in life. The pain of unfulfilled expectations that all of us have. Isaiah 53 verse 4 says that He carried 
our sins and our sorrows. Jesus in Isaiah 53 could have been quoted in that Palm Sunday celebration. He not only carried our sin and our sorrows, but He covered them so that the One who judges righteously now, the Father of light, can look at the likes of me and say, wow, I don't see you anymore. I see Jesus. That, beloved, is the, 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 the nucleus of good news. If you don't understand that God sees you as holy and blameless uh, and beyond reproach because of you being in Jesus, you've not yet been born again, probably. You may be religious, a churchgoer, but on that day, that is not going to be sufficient for you. When he says, why should I let you in my heaven? Well, because I've been good and, you know, I've been religious. I've been part of the church all my life. Jesus said it this way, unless a person, a man, is born again into the kingdom of God from on high by the Spirit, unless he's born again, he cannot enter or see the kingdom of God. That, beloved, is the problem with the American church. Many people coming on Sundays, and if they like the show, they stay. If they don't like the show, they go. And guess what? It's never about you liking the show. It's not about me liking the show. It's about Jesus having shown what is most important to know Him and follow Him and love Him. Isaiah 53, He carried our sorrows. Philippians 3.10 says it this way. Paul says, I want to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering that I might be conformed to His very image. It isn't just about power of resurrection. You can't have resurrection without the fellowship of suffering. It's the full orbness of the gospel. What if women would live as if there really was a God and it made a big difference in this world? What if men would live as if Jesus were the sole reason for living? John, do you have something? Stand up if you want to and speak to the crowd as loudly as you can. Thank you, John. For those of you who may not have understood it or for those who are viewing us online, that's my last illustration. In fact, the genocide of Christians in other cultures simply because they believe. Oh, they're different from us, but it is real genocide of Christians. I wonder how we will respond should we be placed in that circumstance. I simply want to be found faithful because I know there's something beyond the veil of this life. If you lose your life, you shall save it, Jesus said. But if you save your life and hold on to it, you haven't understood and therefore you'll lose it. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we want to end by praying Worship team, if you come, we want to pray end by praying, God, that you would begin a new work of establishing in our heart your Lordship. Holy Spirit, we invite you to bring forth the response that is appropriate from each person here. Would you start with me?
Father, forgive us where we're callous at times and forgetful to pray for those around the world. Shoot, Lord, many of us don't even pray for those who are in our own family. Our own church community, our own community at large. But we thank you, God, that we are not our sin, but that you've made us new. And Lord, I'm simply asking today that by the might and power of your Spirit, that you would begin to work in each one of our lives we might be ambassadors for Christ genuinely and not religious men and women. Lord, that we might live for the praise of your glory even in the midst of circumstances that are hard and difficult. Father, we pray for each other here right now and we pray for those who suffer that there would be a greater grace released into their lives. We pray for those who are now rejoicing and and celebrating and for whatever reasons are living in a place of ease. Lord, help them to be responsive to those who have need around them and to share all good things that they're experiencing so that we might really weep with those who weep but also rejoice with those who rejoice we need each other we need family we need community God we need to remember that you've made us different Father we need to pray for those around in other countries in Syria and Libya even in Egypt Iraq Afghanistan in Israel and Jordan Lord in so many different countries there's upheaval there's all kinds of quick and cute responses being voiced about of what we should do but God we want to be men and women who are led by your spirit not by the anger of men thank you God for the gift of life for the capacity to share it with those who are around us. Steve Madison, would you stand up where you are? And Steve's going to begin just walking about praying in neighborhoods around. He asked me if I would simply ask others if you want to join him that he's going to be in the chapel. I said, sure. Would that there would be about 300 people that would say the same thing in whatever way God would direct us Father thank you for today let's stand and we'll be dismissed and let's have our ministry team and some of our elders and spouses if you'd come forward and make yourselves available beloved if you don't know Jesus in some of the ways that I've indicated today that the scriptures are clear this could be your day many of you know him and many of us need to re connect with him and so God would you cause that to be the case with each one of us that we would pray for one another that we would share our lives one with another and that we would become a community of love a community of the resurrection and also a community of suffering and bearing with one another's burdens Lord bless your people today send them out encourage God with the paradox of Palm Sunday and the reality of Easter and the coming of new life in Jesus. We embrace that life right now and we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. And everybody said together, Amen. God bless you. Feel free to pray for one another or come and we would be glad to pray with you or for you or you may come and pray for us. God bless you.